Hello from Bear and Kura, a podcast from the Land of Oz Information Services. I love you, Kura. I love you, Bear. This is episode two of the Bear and Kura podcast. We're going to answer a few questions that will tell you a little bit about ourselves. Okay, Bear. What is your biggest pet peeve? That's pretty easy. That would be people who park in handicap stalls who shouldn't be. You see it from time to time. Um, it... it bugs me so much I have to comment on it and you probably get tired of hearing about it. No, not really. It's uh, a pet peeve of mine considering my disability, but uh, it happens way too often. Probably we see it on a daily basis. Well, the, the place where you work has two handicap stalls just right in front of the doors and pretty much every time I go there to drop you off or pick you up from work. Somebody is parked in one of those stalls who shouldn't be. Yeah. They have no tag with the handicap icon. They have no placard. Now, granted, um, I suppose every once in a while, somebody who legitimately has you know, has gone through the paperwork and gotten the the handicap paperwork and should have a tag or a placard. They just forgot to put the placard up. Uh, every once in a while, that happens to us. We, we just forget. Yeah, I, I would agree, but um, I still think most of the people who park there are doing it illegally and not. I think they're just lazy human beings. And I think if they realize that it is in our city, it is a $500 fine. Yeah. But it, the problem is the police don't no, guard against it or do anything against it, which is, I can understand, but there's, they don't, they don't police it. The police don't police that. And, um, maybe, if they just happen to be going into a business and they see it, they, they might write a ticket. I don't don't know. I don't think they're actively ignoring it, do you? No, no, I don't think so. I think that's the case. It's, there's other there's bigger fish to fry per se. Yeah. And I guess there's kind of a confirmation bias when people do it. The more times they do it and get away with it, the easier it becomes for them to continue to do it. Yeah. Well, you remember the other day when you pulled up to drop me off, there was a gentleman that pulled in right before us. And he parked. His wife jumped out. We parked right behind him. I went in the front door, and one of my coworkers saw them do it, ran over to the woman, and told her, you need to move now. And I was kind of proud of the, my coworker for doing that. It was uh, made me feel good. I was proud of her. But uh, the gentleman immediately started backing out, but... It ha needs to happen more often. I, and where I work, it, like you said, the, the stalls are right in front of the front doors, and I work right in front of those doors, and I see it 
constantly over and over and over and over again, but I can't go out and tell people to move because first off, I would, I would have to turn, I have to go to the back of the car. I'm busy in the first place. I just can't stop what I'm doing. And then if the placard's not up in the window, it doesn't say that they don't mean they, they could still have a tag and I don't have the time to run out, look behind the car, see if there's a tag that says it's handicapped. So I, I just can't do it myself. But it was kind of nice that my coworker stepped up and made a comment. And apparently there's another coworker that does the same thing on a daily basis. That's interesting. I believe our city also has what I think they call the ambassador program, where people who, they're, they're sort of like deputized when they see a uh, car that's parked in a handicapped spot they take a picture of the the car and take a picture of their tag and send it off and i believe the city mails them a ticket yeah that you were telling me about that i'm not that familiar with it but yeah that's from what i understand that's maybe something we should look into yeah because something that bugs me that much I, i mean that would give me a feeling that I can do something about it instead of just stewing about it every time I see it. Yeah. Something we could look into further. Okay. Next question. If you could go back in time and give your teenage self some advice, what would it be? That's a really good question. Probably to be proud of who I am and not second-guess myself so much. It took me a long time to come out of the closet. How old were you when you came out? I believe I was 34 when I came out. About 33 or 34 when I came out. But you were in a relationship yeah. Before well, that. well, yeah. I mean, when it, well, I shouldn't say thirty. Okay, I came out to my mother when I was thirty-three, thirty-four. Friends of mine known for years. So I guess I don't know. I guess when I say coming out, I guess what it means to my mom and, and my mom's my world. I, I I love my mom to the moon, but I. So I was probably in my first relationship. I was twenty-six. 20, 26 years old when uh, a first gay relationship uh, or interaction. But yeah, I didn't come out to my mom for almost what, nine years after that. And um, you said that you would tell yourself to be proud. What do you mean? Well, just. I, I question myself all the time. I have a lot. I'm full of self-doubt, uh, anxiety, silly things. It's just, uh, yeah, uh, I, I question everything I do. I don't know. Or I used to, not so much anymore. But I still worry about it. I still have anxiety over it. So. Do you mean like... How you deal with people, or how you appear to people, or or what? All of it. All of it. And how do you feel like? Well, do do you you 
think that you're you're following your advice that you'd give your teenage self? Yeah, I think so. Uh, but I, I don't. I, yeah, I think. I I don't know. It's something that I still deal with, I guess. Um, I, you know, maybe if I addressed it when I was younger, more head on, that it would be better. I guess it's just part of my personality. It's just who I am. Well, I believe in the time that we've been together, you've improved enormously in your... You don't have as much self-doubt as you did when we first met. Okay. Do you think that's true? I think so. I think so. I think you've helped quite a bit with that. I think if... You could see yourself the way other people see you. It would be such an improvement. Hmm. Yeah, but you really can't. There's, there's. <laughs> I think if you could bottle that, you people would be able to solve a lot of problems. But you, people are their biggest critics. Hmm. Uh, do Do you think I'm a I'm critical of myself? No. No. You're you're very comfortable with who you are, and I'm not saying everybody's like that. You're, you're lucky in that way. You're not very critical of yourself. I, I'm jealous of that. But whereas I am critical of myself, I know it. Uh, I admit it. I, I think in my life that there came a time when I just decided there was no need for shame. Yeah, we discussed that in the the previous episode. Yeah. Uh, if you could go back in time and give your teenage self advice, what would it be? My advice to my teenage self would be, you are stronger than you think you are. I remember in most of, most of my early life, I was afraid. I went to a Catholic school where we were taught to fear God, fear our our own thoughts, fear our actions. I didn't do a lot of things that I probably could have just out of fear. I, I think I would I would have a more rounded life if I wasn't afraid to do those things. Like what things? Like Oh, uh, e even small things, uh, uh, confronting, like, bigotry when I saw it, or um, going to a different place, meeting different people. Okay. I, I was always afraid of those things. I shouldn't have been. My advice is uh, that... I can handle things that I didn't think that I could. Okay. Would you uh, consider yourself an introvert or an extrovert? Definitely an introvert. I think you would agree with that. Yes, very much. I um, don't have a lot of friends. Most of the friends that I did have have died. And... I was always sort of a behind-the-scenes kind of person. Didn't I? Huh. I guess I should say I have anthrophobia. 
And anthrophobia is when you're terrified of being close to people. I don't mean emotionally close. I mean physically close. For instance, one of the most terrifying things that can happen to me is if I'm in an elevator and the doors open and a whole bunch of people come in. Being that close to people just just terrifies me. I I don't know why. They they say that phobias are usually pretty deep seated that you have them, you know, from pretty much from birth, but I don't recall in my youth being afraid of being of people being close to me uh, it's something that developed into adulthood I, uh, I i learned to deal with it for instance in the situation with the elevator sometimes i will just excuse myself and get out and and wait for the, another elevator mm-hmm. just because i i can't deal with it Probably the most difficult thing for me to do is to get my hair cut. But I don't have a fancy hairdo, so I cut my own hair. I cut it short, but you know it, it looks okay. So that's my way of dealing with that. Going to the dentist is a terrifying thing for most people, but it's even more so for me, having somebody, you know, up in my mouth. I've learned various techniques to try and relax, to be hyper-aware, you know, when something's going to happen. Also, in some social situations, there'll be a case where somebody just... part of their personality they they want to reach out and grab you or or hug you and i i try to try to be prepared for that inevitability every once in a while it it surprises me in it i'm pretty sure i've offended quite a few people with this look of horror on my face you know when they touch me but i can't help it it's no the the definition of of a phobia is it is a an unreasonable fear yeah. of something and I don't have any control over it. No. Um, you know, I've witnessed it and I, I, I try to protect you from it. But like you said, sometimes it just happens and like I've, I've explained it to people and they completely understand when I do it and then they apologize. They feel terrible. Uh, Cause you know, uh, I'm a complete extrovert. And you've had to put up with me going, going out with me. And, and I know I'm, uh, I have a very large group of friends. So the, it kind of goes back to what we hit on in the first episode, how we're kind of completely different, completely different from each other. I have, I would say, a large social circle. Uh, I don't go out to the bars anymore, but therefore, you know, my, my teens, well, when I was, you know, 20s, 30s, early 40s, I was out all the time. That's that's what I did. And so I have a lot of people that I know. So, I mean, to, to answer my own question to you, I guess, I yeah, I'm an extrovert. So I've had to, when you've gone out with me in those some occasions, 
tried to protect you in those situations where you're comfortable. So I remember going out for my, one of my birthdays, I believe it was, and we went to a <clears throat> local bar that a friend of mine owns. And uh, we moved actually over to a corner so you were more comfortable and your back was against the wall so people couldn't come up and surprise you. So I do that every day, like restaurants and yeah. and things, just so I can be aware if somebody comes up. It, it does... Um, when I'm sitting down in a, in a restaurant and somebody sits down in the, um, the bench behind me and all of a sudden the seat kind of shakes. Um, and if, if I'm not aware of it, uh, it it'll, it'll, it'll drive me crazy. Hmm. So we always try to sit someplace where I can sit with my back to the wall where yeah. nobody can sit behind me without me knowing it. Yeah. We've been pretty good about it. Uh, I suppose it's another case of where your strengths are my weaknesses and vice versa. Yeah. 100%. We've we've learned how how to adapt. Do do you think that my Oh, my introversion, introversion, it limits you. You feel like you don't do as much because you're, you don't think that I can deal with it. No, no. I mean, I, I mean, I, I can choose to do whatever, you know, what I want. I mean, we're in a marriage. We're not in a lockdown, you know, you tell me what to do. I tell you what to do. Uh, I just, choose not to i mean i choose to spend my time with you i have no regrets with that you know i i know if i want to go out i can go out you know i just choose not to you know before it was more of a social thing i don't drink anymore so i find going to the bar unless it's at a certain hour and i'm in and out i don't want to be around drunk people and it's nothing yeah. against my friends who drink it's just I choose not to be around them when they're intoxicated. And, and when you're not drunk yourself, drunk people aren't really a lot of fun to be yeah. around. And, you know, I love sports like we've talked about in the last thing. And one of my, I guess, pet peeves is it's – I have a lot of pet peeves. But one of my pet peeves is when I go to a bar and I want to watch the game, I want to watch the game. I don't want to – blather on with drunk people who aren't interested in the game. So if there's a game I'm interested in and I happen to be at the bar, I get up and leave before that game that I'm interested in leaves because I want to watch the game and not deal with drunk people. <laughs> so, yeah, Notre Dame's on or the 49ers playing the Red Sox. I'm out before the kickoff or the first pitch because I don't need some idiot blathering in my ear about stupid things. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well... And I, you have to realize that people go out for all kinds of reasons, and there it it's a great big universe out there. And for every person there is, there's a different reason for for being where they are. Yeah, and that's why I I I mastered the Irish goodbye. And just <laughs> what's the Irish goodbye? The Irish goodbye is when you excuse yourself, you know, say bye to anybody. You use a, hey, I need to use the restroom. And the next thing you know, you're skirting out the front door without saying bye to any of your friends. 
and I've mastered it over the years, and all my friends know it, so they'll try to keep an eye out, and they still have never caught me. <laughs> so they expect it now. Oh, yeah, they know full well that I'm just going to disappear. Like I'm like a magician. I will up and just disappear. So Did you learn that from me? No, no, I knew this years ago because I would go out, and when I decided to leave, I wanted to leave instead of sitting there and saying goodbyes to people for a half hour to an hour. And I learned how just to sneak out without saying goodbye to anybody and yeah. jumping in my car or getting a ride home, and that was it. And, and people will say, oh, just one more shot. Uh-huh. Yeah. And you wind up staying a half hour, hour, two hours, or you wind up saying, shutting the bar down. So it's easier just to not say goodbyes, and you skirt out the door. It's, and I've mastered it. I'm, I'm a technician at it. <laughs> so. I've never heard of it called the Irish goodbye before. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it's called. Uh, what was your favorite subject in school? Um, I, this is going to sound silly. Probably art. Um, I enjoyed art. I still sketch. I still illustrate. It's a way for me to escape, a way for me to deal with my feelings. So it was, it was a free period in class or school to, to do what I wanted, to create what I wanted. Uh, I mean, I had other interests, but art was definitely my favorite. Did So you doodled a lot? I doodled. I did everything. I sketched. I painted. I doodled. Um, did that ever get you in trouble in school? No. No. I, I kind of hit it and just I'm very nonchalant about it. I mean, I still did my studies. You know, I still went to all my classes, but, you know... Uh, well, I went to a Catholic school, and if you doodled, I mean, that was just an ultimate sin because you weren't paying attention. You, you you weren't under the thumb of the nuns controlling your every thought and action. Uh, see, I went to a very large public school in South Jersey where the teachers probably could yeah. care less. <laughs> so, Well, um, and I suppose... When you're in a boring social situation, like a family reunion or something, if you sat down with a pad and, and started sketching, nobody would question it. You know, no, nobody would say, well, you shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. It, it's completely socially acceptable. Mm -hmm. You took a lot of art classes in school? Yeah. I took as many as I could. Kind of like I took a lot of English classes <laughs> in, yeah. in school. Yeah. I. So, yeah, I took as many as I could. So, so, what was your favorite subject in school? Um, probably science. And that's probably because I'm a Star Trek fan and have been since I was a little kid. And I always liked the science part of science fiction. I, I, a lot of the science that I learned, I learned through science fiction. Because a, a lot of the best science fiction, like uh, Arthur C. Clarke and Isaac Asimov, they not only talk science, they explained science in the stories. Okay. Which, which made it made it more interesting for me. I, possibly that wouldn't be the case for other people. Yeah. Hmm. I didn't know that. Did you do have a lot of science in school? 
Not not really. I, I I didn't enjoy it. I found it to be a bore. I I was one of those students who really didn't apply themselves. I was I was a jock. I was you know I I couldn't wait to get out on the water. I I I, I had other things to do. I, you know, English was okay. History was fine. Science and math I did not enjoy. I, you know, made the excuse as many young kids do is like, I'm not going to use any of this stuff. And I regret it, but I mean, it's a part of life. It's something I don't regret. I regret, but I don't regret it. It's part of just my personality. Some people are into it. Some people aren't. I never really liked math. Maybe because it was kind of boring. Uh, I'd agree with that completely. Teachers never really made any effort at making it interesting. Or fun. And there's like millions of wrong answers, but only one right answer. Yep. And I didn't care for that. Although I do wish I had learned more calculus in in high school and college, because programming is my profession, and a lot of programming is calculus. Yeah. Uh, when when they say uh, solve for X, X represents a value that is unknown until until it's processed in some way. And programming is the same way. Instead of X, you, you have what they call a variable where you could put anything in that variable and you have to write the program in such a way that if anything is put in there, that the program will still continue to work correctly. Yeah. So, you you have like an infinite number of possibilities in your software that you have to provide for. So, I think if I had spent a little bit more time on calculus, it, it would have made learning programming easier in the beginning. Hmm. Hmm, that's interesting. Your, um, your school... Uh, I would have thought you would be more interested in sports. Yeah. Yeah, I was. Very much. So, the PE class was probably your favorite. Uh, well, I mean, no. I mean, I mean PE was okay, but I mean, like, like I don't know. I mean, I, I had a scholarship to go to school for... I had a scholarship for rowing. I mean, it's I couldn't wait to get out of school so I can get in a boat and row. It's I did it all four years in high school, fall, winter, spring, summer. PE was okay, but it was, I mean, I played all, I, I didn't, you know, the only varsity sport that I got interested in was rowing, or how they called it in the East Coast was crew, because it was an all-year thing. It was, an, you, you know, there was a lot of kids who would play Football in the fall, and then winter sports would be basketball, and then spring sports would be baseball. Rowing was all year round, and I wanted to be in the boat. I, you know, I wanted to be working out, getting ready for rowing. I couldn't wait to do it. That's so. My high school had no rowing team or any kind of activities. Most of the popular kids played football. Mm-hmm. Oh, I I suspect at your high school the popular kids were on the crew. 
Yeah, uh, if you if you didn't make the rowing team, you went and played football. Or I mean, the basketball team was very good, but I mean, the rowing team was by far the biggest thing at that school. Uh, um, the year after, I won national championship my senior year in high school in the class that I was in. The year after I left, the varsity eight boat actually placed second in the world. They raced in the Royal Henley Regatta, which is held in the teams in London. And they were, you have to be invited, and they got second in the world. So uh, that's how you got your scholarship for college. Was rowing, was yes. Rowing. Mm-hmm. Mike Vespoli, who makes some of the best uh, shells in the world, which are the rowing, the boats, the, the, the actual boat that people row in, is one of the best uh, boat makers in the world. And he was a coach here. People race Vespoli shells all the time. You'll see them in the Olympics. You'll see them in high school, college. You'll see them all over the place. And that's a local company? It's not a local company, but he was a coach here. He was one of the head coaches here. So there's not much to row on around here. Where I grew up, we had the Intercoastal Highway. Here we have the little Arkansas or the big Arkansas, and it's a lot of turning around. So I could where I grew up, I basically could row and as far and as long as I wanted before I had to turn around. But here, there's a lot of turning around. So, hmm. if you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? Probably, probably. Well, I'd have to speak on something where I've been. Um, Not necessarily. No, I'd rather. Probably Ireland. Probably Ireland. And you visited Ireland. I visited Ireland. I've been to Hawaii. I've been to Mexico. I loved Ireland. I love the people. I love the culture. I am Irish, but it's the temperate weather. It's not. I, some people don't like the the gloomy wetness, but it does do that. It has a lot of that, but I like that. Um, but it does, you know, there's days of sunshine and stuff like that. It's, you know, a lot of people don't believe me, but like I've been to Hawaii, like I said, Ireland is greener than Hawaii. It's it's absolutely beautiful. Yeah, with all that rain and fog. I don't it's think such a temperate, temperate zone. Seattle is like that. Yeah. And I mean, Hawaii's beautiful, but the reason I wouldn't want to live in Hawaii, I'd, if I did live in Hawaii, it would be on one of the smaller islands like Hawaii. I would not want to live in Oahu because it's like New York City on the beach. Plus, it's the most remote island chain in the world. So for me to get back to mainland and like say something happened to my mother, it would take me like 12 hours to get back. If I lived in Hawaii and I had to get back to my mother, it would take like five to six hours. So, And you've you've been in Ireland. Yes. How, how How long did you visit? I visited for 10 days. That's quite a long time. Yep. I went on a tour of Ireland. It was with my mother and my sister a year after my father died. I imagine there's a lot of bars there. Oh, yeah, a lot of pubs. A lot of pubs. It's it's part of Ireland's tradition. There's a lot of drinking. So, Did you do traditionally Irish touristy things, or did you visit? Like, did you... F- Trace your family or anything like that? No, I didn't do that. Uh, but yeah, it was more of, it, we went on a, a bus tour of Ireland. My mom didn't want to rent a car. Uh, 
That sounds like my kind of vacation. A touristy thing? No, no, uh, on a bus where you wouldn't have to worry about driving or where you're going to stay. Yeah, or... yeah, I mean, it was okay. I, I It was neat because it was all set up, but I'm horrible when you get me into a moving vehicle. If I'm not driving, I'm falling asleep. And so oh. I slept a lot. And, and mm. you know, they would talk. The bus driver would talk about, oh, we're past. Da, 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 da. I would wake up whenever we would stop and see the castle we were going to or whatever. And then, you know... We'd have dinner that night, and then the, the, the people and the young – it was mostly older people in the group. I, I think that there is sort of a reputation that bus tours are mainly old people. Yeah, and it was there was a, a few young people in the group, and we went out at night, and we walked to the pubs and did stuff like that. So that was a lot of fun, but yeah, I mean, it was uh, – I mean, it was it was interesting. I loved it, and it was, I learned a lot, but it was uh, – I would have preferred having my own car and doing and seeing and going wherever I want it to, when I want it to, instead of being such a regimented trip. See, we're completely opposite again. Oh, you would have loved it. Yeah, you would have been, you would have been, I could see you standing there with the summary of the trip. Time to go. Five minutes. We're getting on the bus. Yeah, you would have loved it where I would have been like, I'm sleeping for another 30 minutes. I have a hangover. (laughs) So... Where would you go? Um, honestly, it doesn't matter. I, I don't really care where I live. As long as I'm near the people I love. Well, that makes my answer look shallow. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, 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 there would be some, some rules, I would have to say. It would have to be some place where I speak the language. You know, England or Australia or someplace where they speak English because I'm not going to be one of those people who goes somewhere and and just fumbles around and doesn't know, you know, how to ask for something. But I, um, I've never really been hung up about where I live. Um, I, I, I don't have a huge wanderlust. Uh, there are things that I'd like to see, like I'd like to see the Smithsonian. I, I could probably spend a month there. Yeah, um, we talked about going there. My first vacation that I ever took when I had a really good job and had a, a lot of money, I went to Disney World for a week. But it was a package where you pay one price and you can do absolutely everything that you wanted to do, and and I, I figured out what I wanted to do each day, and made my hotel reservations, and I made, I set on a calendar, my, um, restaurant reservations, counted back the number of days that it took to get that reservation, and I put them on the calendar, and on those days I called in and got my reservations, you know, like a month early. It it was a, pretty good package. I believe I spit, I paid $1,200, not including the airfare. And every time they do something, they would, you, well, they give you this like credit card. And every time you do something, they would swipe the, the credit card and give you a receipt. And when I got home, I counted up all of the things that I had charged on that $1,200 card. And I had over $2,000 worth of charges. And how, well, 
So if anyone's listening, how long ago was this trip? So people don't think this because oh. this was quite a while ago for twelve hundred dollars. Yeah, uh, that would have been in the early eighties. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I believe I've heard complaints that Disneyland doesn't really have an all expenses well, paid. Thing now, anymore. if you did that at Disneyland, I think if you signed up or paid for a trip like that, it would probably cost about eight to ten thousand oh, dollars. Yes. Yeah. So. Yes. <laughs> but it, it doesn't really matter where I live. I. I there's uh, there's interesting things to do no matter where you are. Yeah, I'd agree. And they don't even, you know, it doesn't even have to be expensive things. We don't go to concerts or things like that. We we like walking in the park and uh, I have learned that I like putt-putt golf. Mm-hmm. And that uh, I can do bowling as long as it is it's the the handicap bowling with the ramp and the uh, and bumpers. bumpers up. Yeah. So uh, I don't have to live high on the hog. I I think the fact that I'm unemployed now lost my job a few months back. It's given us a chance to be together more. Yeah. I mean, gr- granted, we don't, you know, have the money we had before, but w- we don't spend, we don't have to spend a lot of money, mm. but we do get to spend a yeah. lot of good time together. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. I would agree with that 100%. If you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be? Hmm. That's a really tough question. Uh, I'm probably that I'm just a nice person. I would agree with that. You are a nice person. I mean, you have lots of people who love you. Yeah. How about you? I would want to be remembered for having helped people, even people who didn't realize that. I was doing it or that they were being helped. I had a gay bulletin board system in the late eighties and early nineties. Uh, well, up until Y2K, uh, I sponsored the gay information line in town. So people who needed information could get it after after the bulletin board closed, the, it, it closed because the computer I had literally could not handle Y2K. And I couldn't patch it well enough okay. to, to keep the bulletin board running. And after that, I, I didn't have the access to the resources that I had before. And that year, I got the American Bear Award from American Bear Magazine for outstanding service to the gay community and the local gay organizations found out about it when they had pride that year they gave me the lifetime achievement award oh and i i gave a speech gave a a a nice little speech and people applauded but i remember thinking 
I'm just way too young to get the Lifetime Achievement Award. Yeah, that's a little... (laughs) You know, after I kind of eased out of doing that, I, I really haven't helped people nearly as much. I've kind of withdrawn. And I don't know, I... Maybe I'm resting on my laurels, but um, most of the people that I worked with in those days died in the AIDS pandemic. And I don't think there's really anybody left to remember that I did anything. That's too bad. That's really too bad. But I'm aware of it. So... Like we did last week, what is your favorite joke right now? Well, since we agreed that this is going to be a regular segment on each episode, I'm kind of under some pressure to tell a good joke. I hope I can live up to the expectations. Here goes. I invented a new word today. Can you guess what it is? I'm afraid to even try. I don't know what word is it. Pelagiarism. Oh, my God. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. Well, with that, I have nothing else to say. (laughs) So that's enough for this episode. I hope... (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I hope everyone enjoyed listening. This is Kura. And this is Bear, signing (laughs) off for now. You have been listening to the Bear and Kura podcast, a production of the Land of Oz Information Services. We can be contacted via email using the address podcast at oz.com, and Oz is spelled A-W-E-S.